Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. In this episode, Sarah Battersby, Senior Scholarships and Education Officer with the Triangle Community Foundation, and scholarship recipient Broderick Brown, discuss the importance of investing in our students. I'm Sarah Battersby, the Senior Scholarships and Education Officer at Triangle Community Foundation. Um, I have the great privilege of working with our education programs, our focus area in youth literacy, our grant program for summer camps focus on summer learning loss, and our scholarships. Um, right now we have about 43 different scholarship funds, and we award about 180 students a year. And that is how I met Roderick. He was one of our scholarship recipients in 2017, and I will let him introduce himself. Yes, good morning. My name is Roderick Brown. I am a student at at North Carolina State University, majoring in technology, engineering, and design. So thank you for having me. Yeah, so I am so interested in hearing, Roderick, how state is going. I know you transferred here and what you're majoring in and, and what you're loving about it. Right, so this is, first and foremost, has been quite a transition. So I'm loving, like, the different population that I'm coming from, from the previous university I've at. Um, I'm loving the different opportunities I've been met with. So I've been involved in a couple of volunteer experiences. And you mentioned your majors earlier, and I was so impressed. I was just an English major, and you're, you had a lot of very specific things. So tell us more about your majors. So my major, technology, engineering, and design, focuses on the technology aspect in classrooms. So how can we include technology and get students more hands-on and being more active? Cool. And what are you hoping to do when you graduate? So once I graduate, I hope to become an educator, of course, and really teach students the, I guess, the 21st century technology way, um, really making sure that they understand the importance of technology and getting them active and getting them comfortable with technology and engineering. That's really cool. I, I did not have any such idea when I went to college. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and I quickly realized my first biology class, that was not true, um, <laughs> and was one of those many people who biology 101 scared away. So I ended up majoring in English and then getting a graduate degree in social work, where I am grateful to have learned a lot of community organizing skills and direct practice skills in that program. And then, then I ended up in higher ed, where I've been for almost a decade working. And then this job was a great transition out outside of higher ed specifically, but still working with students, which I love to do. And so I know that you've been a part of our scholarship recipient advisory committee this year, which is new. This is really cool. Yes. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of great feedback already. I think it's so hard to know when you're in the work, you think, you know, you're making changes and yeah, this makes a ton of sense. And then you put it, you know, to the people experiencing the applications. Well, no, maybe that actually makes things worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just interested as well in hearing some of your challenges in, in getting to college and also at college. I think, you know, we're always trying to, to help our staff and our donors understand what those are so that we can adjust our work to make things easier. Right. So I guess for me, and I guess I can speak for most high school students, challenges, the biggest challenge we'll get, I guess, would be more so resources, having someone to talk to, having someone to help guide you hey, this scholarship's open. Hey, what do you want to do after high school? So I, I think that would be the biggest thing, which I am so grateful for being a part of the Triangle Community Foundation because you guys have been such a great resource for me. What is the biggest surprise you found when you got to college, either good or challenging? Work. <laughs> the workload. I guess no one tells you that college is exactly the same as high school, except for you just have a lot of, you're introduced into temptation. Um, so I guess at times you want to also hang out with your friends, but sometimes you have to just be more grounded. So it's really having that self-discipline to help guide you. Um, so that would be the biggest challenge for me. 
Yeah, what, what advice would you give students who are thinking about, especially if they're thinking, I don't know, college is for me, maybe, you know, I, I can't afford it, or I, I, it's not for me, I'm not really going to fit in. What advice would you give to those students who are making that choice right now? Well, my biggest advice would be find someone that you feel comfortable talking to. I feel like everyone should have a mentor in their life. I have several. <laughs> so I would say find someone that you feel comfortable talking to, discuss your concerns, and really just have someone else's opinions and, and be open. I think that's the biggest thing. Being open and just having someone else's opinions and listening to them will kind of be very helpful in that sense. So that would be the biggest advice I would give to any college student. Tell us about your mentors. I'm really interested to hear about them. Right. So luckily for me, like I said, or like you said previously, I have been a recipient for one of your scholarship awards. She actually paired me up with someone who works at a technology firm here in Raleigh. And this individual has been such a great help as far as helping me figure out what I want to do in the technology world, actually encouraging me to um, apply to transfer to different college. Um, and just has been just a great help as far as just help guiding me along the way. Yeah, that's great. I think I hear a lot. I was at a meeting earlier this week when we were talking about uh, mentoring programs really being the the best way to ensure that students feel comfortable and, and apply for college and feel supported. And so, right. you know, how do we um, in the philanthropy sector support those programs and their growth and, and finding mentors who want to connect with students? So I think that's something we've certainly talked about is how to connect donors with students, um, knowing that our donors have, you know, many varied careers and lots of experiences that they could offer um, and that students would like to talk to them. So we're still working that out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what made you want to become or go in this field? What made you want to, like, really be that person to kind of, like, decide or help facilitate the scholarships? Yeah, so my first job out, out of grad school was at a small college in Florida doing career services for students, so helping them figure out what job they might want, what major they might want, um, and doing like career fairs and graduate school fairs. And that was really fun to work with students to figure out like what did they want to do with their, their major. They really loved English, but what did that look like when they graduated? Um, and it was really gratifying to see them graduate and figure out what that meant. And then I worked at a law school at Duke in... Um, student affairs and financial aid and admissions. So I was working with students when they thought they might want to go to law school. I was doing recruiting and setting up visits, working with them the whole time they were at the law school. I worked with all the student groups and then I managed a loan repayment program for grads in public service. And so I think working with students their whole kind of law school career was really meaningful, but I did feel like the lack of being a community-based organization. So it was kind of, I you know, I was very Duke-based and I wanted to be more community-based. And so this was a great opportunity to keep doing that financial aid piece that I enjoyed, that it's important to help students pay for school. School is expensive, all types of school. Mm -hmm. Um, But also getting to network more with community organizations, like nonprofits that are working with students, or um, a lot of different colleges. Um, I've gotten to meet all of our community colleges and and state and UNC and Duke um, and our, you know, and Central and and Shaw. I've gotten to visit Shaw several times and really enjoyed that. i lived in Raleigh for a number of years and had never been on campus, so that was really cool. Um, but I really enjoy working with students, and this felt like a really meaningful way to, to make an impact, to help out. So I actually have a question for you. Can you give us, as far as students, advice as far as what goes on behind the scenes? I know for me personally, that is the most stressful thing because I don't know what is going on. 
Yeah, so I, I can speak for us, and I think that it's a pretty similar process generally across different scholarship providers. So for us, it starts with a, a donor um, or a company. So it could be an individual, it could be a family, it could be um, an organization. We have several companies, sponsored scholarships coming to us and saying, you know, I want to set up a scholarship. And at that point, I would say, awesome. Let's talk about what type of student you want to award, how we structure that to make it broad enough that students can apply, and how we uh, make sure that the criteria isn't hindering any students from applying. So, for example, if we're focusing on students with financial need and making sure the scholarship can cover things like transportation or other things in cost of attendance beyond tuition and not requiring, you know, a constant 3.5, 4.0 GPA, realizing that it might be kind of a shock when you get to college for all students and giving students that flexibility to kind of figure things out. Once the scholarships get set up, right now we're in the process of setting up all our applications. So we have an online system. It ends up being more work than you'd think. <laughs> Each of our scholarships, we have 23 separate applications right now. They all are separate. Um, but this year we're creating a quiz where students put in what county they live in, what high school they go to, um, some basic questions about what major they're interested in, and it will pull up a list of just the scholarships they're eligible for instead of them having to scroll through all 23. And that requires a lot of back-end coding to make that happen, which we're doing right now. Uh, once we open applications, we start working on outreach. So how to let students know that these exist. We surveyed students this year and mostly heard that it's, they hear from counselors, they hear from parents primarily. So how do we reach those two groups of folks? We do email outreach to counselors. Last year, we mailed hard copy posters to libraries and um, to, to schools, thinking that if the counselor could just pull it out of a package and pin it on a bulletin board, it would be a lot less work for them. They don't have to print it. They don't have to scan it. They don't have to worry about any of that. And then we have kind of staggered deadlines. So as applications come in, we're reviewing them to make sure they're complete. If they're not, we're following up with students to say, hey, we still need your transcript. We still need, you know, your recommender hasn't submitted. Can you send them a reminder to turn in their letter? And we also scan for, oh, this student submitted a scholarship, but they're eligible for three others. So we'll email them and say, hey, have you thought about, and we really encourage you to apply for everything you're eligible for. Once they're complete, the deadline's passed. We usually allow, I usually allow for about two weeks to follow up for students and let them get everything in. We send them to committees. So we have the option for donors to be involved in the committee or not. About half of our committees have the donors sit on them and half of them don't. So we have, this year we'll have 16 different committees. So I think that kind of makes it seem very confusing because you hear about this scholarship at this time and the scholarship at this time. Why can't I just hear about all of them at once? But we'll have committees starting in April going through July. So reviewers will read them, will score them based on what criteria the donor has set. So financial need, academic merit, community service are the pretty po three popular ones. Um, and then we'll meet in person to talk through how the scoring went, the different students' questions. Um, so my role is just as a facilitator, I don't vote, but to encourage any assumptions that might come out about, well, the student wasn't working. Well, let's look at why. Maybe they didn't have a car. They are caring for siblings or grandparents or parents. So it's not that they chose not to work. They didn't have that option. Um, and then we'll talk through and then we pick one recipient or more based on the scholarship availability and several alternates just in case um, the recipients get full aid, which is amazing, or decide not to go to school. Um, and then we'll tell students. So I usually notify students within, within three days, usually within one day of decision making. 
Okay, I have one more question for yeah, you. It's a long so, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. So as far as students, we also I think I can speak on all on when I say this is what do we include in the application? Yes. What's not okay to include? So what is enough? For you all to decide. Yeah, so we are actually um, hoping to add some resources to our website to help students figure that out, including a webinar walking through the whole scholarship application and talking about that. Um, basically, for me especially, we don't do interviews, so the application is really how we get to know students, and we really just want to get to know you. So you know, I always tell students, don't look for you know writing samples. We want to hear your voice. You know, it doesn't need to be super formal, in my opinion spell check obviously but don't feel like it's a college you know college essay you know I really we're, we're thinking about how to give students the opportunity to really tell us about their full selves which was feedback we had from students as well so maybe that's an option to upload a piece of art or a video or you know something you're really passionate about that doesn't fit on a grid telling us your extracurriculars <laughs> yeah. but I think it's really whatever's important to you whatever that looks like so I think students sometimes think it has to be a formal club, it has to be a sports team, and I don't think that's true. It could be, you know, volunteer project you set up on your own. It could be, you know, really anything that's important to you that helps us know what's important to you. Awesome. So being a young college student, what advice would you give me going forward? I'm only in my second year, so I have two more years left. So what advice could you give to me? Yeah, I mean, so I think in addition to taking advantage of all your networks through your clubs and your professors and get to know them, the ones that you really connect with or that are teaching things that you really like, just, you know, take advantage, ask questions. You know, I think a lot of times students will ask me questions and be surprised when I answer them. <laughs> but that's my job, you know, to answer to questions for scholarship applicants and scholarship recipients. So sometimes you might not get an answer, but a lot of times you probably will. So, right. you know, if you have questions, ask them. Um, try things and be okay with deciding it's not for me um, and stopping, you know, um, trying new things. And I think that's been really useful for me in realizing what I didn't like. So in doing internships and realizing maybe this specific thing isn't for me, maybe I should try something else. Oh, I love this part of what I'm doing, but not this part. So maybe I'll try this thing and internships, of course. So that's where the network and asking people, I think you'll get internship opportunities you might not have heard about otherwise. Right. So when you were in college, how did this kind of like, did you wish you had this type of support when you were in school? Yeah. So I was really lucky in that I, I had both my parents went to college. Um, and really early on, I got involved in that Best Buddies Club I mentioned mm -hmm. where, you know, I pretty much had a group of people interested in the same types of things like service that I was interested in. Um, and I had some professors in the English department that were really willing to meet with me any, anytime I wanted to talk to me. And then my senior year, I took a class in the School of Social Work, and that teacher, who I believe now teaches at NC State, actually, her name is Marcy Fisherborn, mm -hmm. was really willing to sit down and talk to me about applying to, applying to grad school and what that looked like and what it would mean to have a master's in social work um, and, you know, to not just go in blazing to save the world, but to really have an idea of what I wanted to do and how to do it. So I think making those connections, I was fortunate in that they kind of just organically happened, but they ended up being really transformational. So speaking of that, I'm actually thinking about, should I get a master's degree or not? So can you give me like some advice on like, should I go forward or should I wait a little bit? Yeah, so I, I think it depends on your field. And that is where like I have no idea about anything related to technology. <laughs> um, I'm the world's worst millennial when it comes to technology. Um, but I think that would be when reaching out to people who have jobs you might want would be really helpful and saying, mm -hmm. 
would it need, would I need a master's to get this job? Could I get one five years after I graduate? Could I get a job at a company that would pay for me to get my master's, which would be awesome? And so that you can kind of go into it knowing what you need to get the job you want and when you can do that. My parents always taught me that, you know, even before going to high school, really look on like Indeed, for example, and finding that job that you could potentially want and looking at the requirements and going backwards in a sense. So that's something I'm thinking about doing right now. Yeah. And I think reaching out to like admissions departments or master's programs themselves to find out what are their graduates doing. Right. And if you can, you talk to one of them so you can connect with someone who's been through the program and say, is this degree really going to help me do what I want? Or is it maybe not quite? And so, I mean, don't, don't spend money if you don't need to. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> So you received the, the Citrix Scholarship in 2017, and um, because that is specifically for students at HBCUs in the Triangle, that meant you only got it for one year, which was really um, hard, actually, for me to have that conversation <laughs> with you, and I hated every second of it. Um, but you also mentioned that it connected you with your mentor at Citrix, so tell me a little bit about the impact of even just that one year of scholarship. Well, first, I was just so grateful to get that scholarship. It came in really handy as far as on the financial aid part. But, you know, like like you said, I did only receive it for one year, so it was definitely hard for me to give it up to go to another school. But through that scholarship, I was, was able to meet someone who, again, has changed my life that I will never forget. She has paired me up with so many great people at that um, organization where they even, even invited me to have an internship if I choose to actually next year. So I'm just, again, so grateful for that scholarship. And hopefully I can get another one <laughs> soon, so we'll see. Yeah, and so I will say the the backside administrative details of, you know, just even emailing back and forth with folks at Citrix, they always had great things to say about you and how wonderful you were doing there and, you know, that they, they hoped you would stay involved even though you were moving out of the schools that were eligible to receive the right. scholarship. So I wanted you to know that they, they think really highly of you, and that's awesome. I think for me, it's just, I'm just so proud of all our students that we get very emotional. And I've definitely been on the phone with students and like started weeping and like, right. oh my God, you got a scholarship. Um, so it's very, it's very exciting to call students to let them know they got it, but also very heartbreaking to have to tell many more students that they didn't. So that would also be my advice to students looking for scholarships that to not, to not take it personally or to think that you don't deserve the scholarship that we had to choose one person or five people out of a pool of, you know, 20 or hundred, um, and that's very hard for me to do. And so I think, you know, that it can you can take it personal when you get rejected from things. It feels like, well, I'm not worthy. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And I think that's absolutely not true. That We have many, many, many more wonderful applications that we can give scholarships to. So it's also part of my job, always looking for more funding for scholarships. <laughs> right. And my biggest thing as far as that, because I've been turned down from a couple of scholarships as well, but don't take everything or don't take a no as just that's the end. Make it a story. Um, I would tell anybody that. So just because you hear a no or you get some, or you don't even get into your favorite college, just add it to your story. Um, it was actually interesting to meet with the other scholarship committee members to hear their backstories and to see how, you know, yes, we may have transferred or yes, this may have been going on in their personal life, but to see at the end of the day, if you only would have waited one year, you were going to get into the, the spot that you wanted to before. That's always funny to kind of like think about in a sense. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not an end. 
that is right. still, you know, transferring is certainly an option. You know, I know that in the, the five students that are on our recipient committee, three of them did transfer right. um, to the school they wanted to go to to start with and that it worked out. Um, and that, you know, maybe they made connections in that one or two years at their previous school that they might not have made otherwise. Which I love transferring, actually. So if I had to go back in time, I remember the day I was crying when I was like, oh, what do I want to do? I was so stressed out because I had so many options of which school I wanted to go to. And I actually I love transferring because it gave me a sense of confidence when I entered NC State. Because I already knew the college system, so I already had an upper advantage coming into the school versus the freshmen. I already had college credits. So, like, for example, right now we're doing the registration period. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of which, when they're um, in the classrooms talking about like when they want to sign up for classes, I actually have an advantage where I get a whole week before they even apply or even can even open up to apply for these classes. It's also fun um, that I just love. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think I hadn't even thought about that, that you already, you already know what college is, so you're not right. as stressed out about figuring that out and registering for class and, right. you know, navigating around a place. Um, yeah, I think that was that was my biggest learning curve in college, that I went to a college that had as many people as my hometown. So actually more more people than the, the town I'm from. So going from small town environment to a campus that had more people than the entire town, plus the town itself off campus was a big adjustment, but it was a good experience um, that I'm grateful to have. So. All right, and I just love also the fact that when I transferred into the NC State, it was just, it was like a new me. At the time, I just finished up my summer job, so I actually worked with the City of Raleigh Parks and Recs Department. Um, so when I transferred, it was just like, it's a new me, it's a new um, a new experience. I just love it, actually. So I, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, when we were emailing back and forth about where were you transferring, and then, you know, that would meant that you would move out of the eligibility field for the scholarship, but um, it seems to make a lot of sense for what you want to do and that right. what you could get here could help you do that. Um, so I think empowered decision making that, you know, you, you figured that out, which is which was also exciting to see, even though I was very sad to tell you that you couldn't get a scholarship <laughs> anymore. <laughs> dream school I did not get into my freshman year and I was very devastated when I heard that I remember I cried the first couple of days my parents were trying to comfort me which is you know I wanted to give up honestly I felt like I wasn't good enough um but you know I made it my mission that you know not to let this stop me I made sure that no matter what I might not go to this school this particular year but I am going to go to a school um I'm going to do really well and I'm going to apply again just so I can have the option, which I did, and I got accepted into. And then to see that, you know, now, how do I explain this? I just hate how the college application is, where as far as it limits students to their test performance, or, well, unfortunately, you didn't meet this particular criteria where we can't allow you to come in. Um, so I think if I could change anything, me personally, I would just change the whole college application process in general. Um, but even with that, I can't change it, unfortunately. <laughs> but really just, you know, everyone goes through their, their stories. Um, just don't let it stop you. That would be my biggest advice. Yeah, I think as scholarship providers, it's so important to know what that story is because sometimes you're just looking at a transcript or test scores 
Um, it's easy to make assumptions and many times that they're wrong. Um, so hearing from students, you know, I had a really difficult time. Um, maybe I was bullied in school or maybe I was doing too many clubs and my grade suffered or I'm just bad at math, um, which I am. So, um, you know, if your math grade is really bad and but you're majoring, you're hoping to major in history, that's maybe okay. Um, and so I, I definitely encourage our committees to not just look at test scores, to not to see the full picture of students. Um, and so I think that's so important, this idea of sharing your story, which is actually um, what our hopefully upcoming webinar is called to help students understand scholarship applications. Um, you know, I had a student come up to me after a presentation and say, I was nominated for governor school, but I didn't put that on my application. I didn't really think that was important. Of course it's important. Everybody knows what governor school is. That's super important that you were even nominated. Um, but in her eyes, she wasn't, she didn't go, so it wasn't important. Um, so I think it's, it's so interesting to figure out how to encourage students to really share their whole selves, right. what that looks like. But it's scary when you don't know who's reading it. You don't right. know who's and, on the other end. <laughs> right. And speaking of me, there's one thing I didn't even mention about my own scholarship, which I might have to go back and add, <laughs> <laughs> is, you know, it's funny because, again, everyone has their story. For example, nobody would know I have a learning disability. So it's hard for me to concentrate and it's hard for me to focus on one particular thing. But at the same time, if you look at my grades, you see all A's and B's. So it's also funny that I don't even disclose that. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's just making sure that students feel okay with typing this type of stuff in their application. And I, th I think even, you know, we require students to submit a grade report every semester um, just to make sure they can get the, they meet the criteria for the next payment, like GPA or whatever it is. And I think, you know, sometimes students will email me and say, can I turn it in late? I'm doing this internship and I really want to tell the donor about it. So I'm going to wait until it's over or, um, you know, they have a whole variety of reasons, which I'm always like, sure, if you get a reminder from me, you know, just just remember, you know, we, we talked about this and it's fine. Um, but I also think when students don't turn them in, I worry. <laughs> so I work with about 300 students a year and I worry about all of them. Um, so when I when I don't hear from students, I'm not jumping to you're being lazy and not turning this in. I'm worried. Are you OK? You know, are you still in school? Um, like just talk to me and then let me know, even if you know we had students medically withdraw or students coping with family members being ill and had to leave school um, and we can work with you on that if we know it's happening and I think the same is true of you know financial aid offices or you know student counseling and um, so I had a student email me and was having a serious situation and I'd been so worried because I hadn't heard from him in like months I'm like oh thank you thank you for telling me like I'm just right. glad to know you're still okay and we can work with you on the on the situation that you're facing and and figure things out but um you don't know what you don't know, I guess. Right, and I'm so thankful for that because that even helped me out um, as far as, like, getting reminders and you actually reaching out to me and saying, hey, what's going on here? Um, so me personally, I just love that and just, and I love that on, you know, that company that you guys are open to reaching out to students and say, hey, what's going on here? Don't forget about this. Don't forget about that. Yeah. Um, I think for students, just, just considering it's hard to share. I'm a person who doesn't share very much, very easily, but... The more people know, the more they can help you navigate what's happening, um, that you wouldn't have had that help before. Yeah, so I, I'm so, I think this is the first time we've actually met in person. We've met over Google Hangout a couple times. <laughs> um, so it is so nice to meet you on, in person on campus. Um, I always love being on college campuses. Um, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to academic advising and, and being on campus. So it was really exciting to be here today with you. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Um, again, I love representing students all over. Um, again, I cannot wait to see what um, the scholarship committee can come up with and with some new ideas up here that we're coming up with. So I can't wait to actually put those in, in place. And again, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Experience. t and &E is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. 
Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gollihue. Our graduate assistant editor is David Mueller. And our communications assistant is Haley Jones. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.